Hey Rewatchers, Keith here. We've got another Adrian Tape for you this week. We've already released all of Season 1 of the Adrian Tapes, and now we are into Season 2. So today we're going to be listening to Season 2, Tape 1, Side A of the Adrian Tapes, when Adrian Paul reflects on the creation and production of the show's second season. There's some great stories here. Adrian recounts some of his favorite episodes, working with Dennis Berry, and you get the story behind the now very famous banana prank on the Highlander set. Hope you enjoy. Year two saw us not only taking new directions with the shows and the characters, but also setting up a number of new directors who would shoot the episode. Some of them were to become our in-house directors, and some would only direct one or maybe two episodes. The thing about directors is that each one has his own style because, well, each one has a different personality and therefore portrays a different feeling into what they're shooting. However, when doing a television series, the look of the show has to be maintained. Islander was beginning to find its own style, and new directors that came in had to conform slightly to this formula. A couple of the directors that had been used in year one came back to continue the saga. One of them, and one of the most influential, in my opinion, in creating the Highlander style, was Dennis Berry. Action! Cut, that was a duty. Now, one last shot. Some of you may have already heard or seen his name, but Dennis became infamous for his character. Dennis is half French and half American, with a certain casual, unkept look that befits his character. An actor earlier on in his career, he never lost a spontaneous outburst of emotion that so becomes him and every other actor. Dennis has shot two shows in the first season, and it brought a certain style and craziness, not only in the way he filmed, but also in the way he communicated to other people around him what he needed to have done. And when people didn't understand him, it would drive him crazy. He was used to working with the French crew and dealing with problems as he did in France, which usually meant shouting a lot to get things done. However, in North America, that didn't work. Maybe the Europeans understood an expressive nature. But in Canada, people just thought he was an ass. Although he spoke perfect English, sometimes the nuances of what he was trying to convey to others didn't come across. Therefore, I can't tell you how many discussions I had with crew members and producers as to why they believed he enjoyed his shouting bouts. Actually, I think Dennis enjoyed them himself. His first show this year was An Eye for an Eye, when Richie gets entangled with Max's old friend Annie, played by Sheena Easton. While we were training in the dojo, Dennis' exuberance can be heard in the number of times he made me throw Stan to the ground. Action! Action! Ah! Four, three, four, three. Action! Ah! Remember, stay there, let him slam into it. Ready? Don't move. And action! Ah! I got it. Poor Stan. This was only one take, yet we did it several different ways, several different times, but I'll talk about that on a different tape. Dennis never quite knew what he wanted until we saw the characters doing it. It meant doing it many times until Dennis was happy with it. Sometimes with a fight sequence that could cause problems. An example for this was during Richie and Charlie's training sequence in the dojo. Everybody should lower themselves. The camera should go low, and the stick should go low, like that, and During this show, one of the famous events of the season occurred when Dennis lost his temper for no reason whatsoever. Unfortunately, I don't have a take for you to hear, 
but you'll get an indication of what it was like as you listen on. We were filming a sequence when Mac teaches Richie all about the sword in a small clearing overlooking the water. Dennis, I guess, wanted to get everyone's attention. And since he was on one of his hyper days, I think people's attention span was a little limited. He was probably into his caffeine overdose since he drank several coffees in the morning. Dennis does a lot of things to get people's attention and get it he did for the first week. But then it became a constant buzz and people would just tune out. Well, this particular morning, Dennis, suddenly, out of the corner of his eye, noticed one of the ADs standing on top of the hill overlooking us rehearsing, eating a banana. Suddenly, he shouted out, I want quiet on the set! Nobody should be eating bananas during the day! Everyone thought it was a joke and started laughing. Dennis, I think, took offense, thinking people were laughing at him. Well, they were! So he started screaming and screaming, and which lasted about five minutes, about the negative aspects of eating a banana while the camera was rolling, or even when it wasn't. So after this point, I started to tease Dennis by walking in on set in the mornings for rehearsal, eating or carrying a banana. His next show, Return of Amanda, was a little hard to cut because his crazy nature came out in the way he filmed the sequences and therefore it had little order. Well, it had some, and I'm sure Dennis knew the order he wanted it in, but didn't tell anybody. Sometimes Dennis would get carried away by watching a scene that he would forget about the pacing or the character's intent at the beginning of the scene. An example for this was the first meeting of Amanda and Mac in the loft. This sequence eventually had to be edited differently because Dennis let the pacing between Elizabeth and myself slow down to a snail's pace. And in TV, the pacing has to be a little faster than on film because, well, people like to change the channel. This was the first time Dennis had worked with Elizabeth and myself, and his comment afterwards regarding the scene was that he got carried away with the chemistry between us and forgot about the pacing. The show, however, turned out to be very classy with good performances, something that Dennis, somewhere in his fuzzy little head was able to pull off because his visual talent was so evident. Run for your life with Bruce Young was a little different, either because Dennis was more focused or maybe because his assistant director had started to substitute the regular coffee Dennis was being given to decaffeinated. He didn't seem to notice, but we all did. The show was put up for a genie nomination in the Canadian Television Awards, so he must have been doing something right. The show itself was one of my top five on my second season favorite list. One, because Bruce Young and I had good chemistry together, but also because Dennis was willing to try anything, even to the point of rewriting dialogue in a scene to make it work. Dennis would usually listen to how it sounded in rehearsals, and then, well, he decided whether we needed to cut or add something to it. That was always fun to work that way. There were a couple of things Dennis was famous for doing. The best, I think, was when he was blocking a scene and never finished it and left the actors in limbo while he went on to talk to the director of photography. The other would be when he would give final instructions at the beginning of the take or even during it. Tomorrow, Nick, it's like the men say. So just separate at that moment a little bit? Just a little bit like that? Maybe so. Huh? Yeah. Okay, so let's pick it up from here. <clears throat>
Le coupé pas, come back. Let's just do it. I wouldn't have it any other way. Stand by. And. Bougez pas. The Vampire was Dennis's first show in Paris that season, and in my opinion, then one of the best quickenings we'd done to date on the show. The mystery and the drama that the story and the vampire created suited Dennis to a T. He was able to use the smoke machines that he loved so much in the flashbacks, and in the present, his eccentric nature was well suited to the weirdness happening during the episode. His next show, Pharaoh's Daughter, was probably one of my favorites for year two. By this point, Dennis and I started having a great relationship when we worked together. I was the stabilizing influence when some of his ideas were going a little haywire, and he would give me good suggestions that I could embellish my work with. Farrah's Daughter was the show that Dennis and I came up with ideas every other hour. The relationship, for instance, between Mac and Nefertiri needed to be padded out, since for Mac to fall for her and eventually kill her would make the story much more tragic. We needed to see how did she make McLeod laugh, how did she turn him on? What was the spark that was between them? Well, I suggested to Dennis that we do a montage around Paris of showing Nefertiri 20th century customs and ideas. Well, Dennis was all for it, maybe because he could see the visual advantage of it. So we spent part of one of our already hectic shooting days ad-libbing situations that MacLeod might find himself in with a 2,000-year-old mummy. One of the scenes that was scripted that we shot that day was the one when McLeod takes Nefertiri into the store to buy new clothes. When scouting the location for the store, Dennis found what he thought was the ideal one. But after the store agreed to let us shoot there, they changed their minds, forcing us to shoot somewhere else. Dennis was irate, but what could he do? When I came up with the idea of shooting more scenes, showing Nefertiri what life was like in the 20th century, Dennis thought it would be a great idea to use the exterior of the store that he'd been refused at. And he felt we needed lines to express the situation, and he was enthralled when Nia came up with the idea of describing the clothes in this manner. Uh, no, 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 no. It, it, it looks like slave cloth. This is Dennis's sense of humor. But later that day, another incident occurred that I've laughed about ever since. Dennis was under a little pressure because of the extra shots we'd done, and we'd gotten to the scene where Nefertiri slaps the policeman because he stops her from crossing the road. And we'd been rehearsing the scene for about, well, about ten minutes, when a woman came storming onto set who claimed to be an owner of one of the stores in the passageway next to where we were shooting. Since we were using part of the steps to the passageway as our entrance to the shops, the lady wanted to see our permit that gave us the right to shoot there. As normally happens in France, everyone shrugs their shoulders and purses their lips and pass the problem on to the next person. Well, being ignored, the woman started getting a little angry and pulled at the coat sleeves of the extra who was dressed as a police officer, wanting him to force us to show her the permit. He again shrugged his shoulders and pursed his lips, so she stormed off. We thought the matter was closed, but it wasn't. If you look in the final cut of the show, you'll see a woman storming down the steps after Nefertiri and I leave frame. <laughs> yes, that was Mrs. Irate's shop owner. But what happened next that never made it on film was a typical Dennisism. He finally met someone as crazy as he was and in his own way tried to calm her down, saying, Oh, madame, we're just leaving. We're going to be here not longer. Oh, it's no problem. <laughs> but she would have none of it. She wanted us out, and she wanted us out now. So in true Dennis style, he did the thing he felt most appropriate for the situation. He climbed to the top of the steps, and to nobody in particular, but so that the woman would hear, 
He shouted that he wanted the camera in this position and he wanted it here now. <laughs> well, knowing he had no more shots to do, we laughed hysterically as we watched Dennis jumping up and down on the top step. After the woman stormed off, he came running down the stairs, giving us that famous Dennis smile as if to say, See what I did? The second to last show he directed that season was Prodigal Son. By this point, I knew Dennis pretty well. In fact, I think I knew what he meant before he did sometimes. There were times I had to clarify what he wanted even during a take, either what we were doing or even where we were starting the scene from. Sometimes I felt I knew more what was going on than he did. Come and see. Do you want me to fall into this? Do you want me to fall into No, he's, he's on the horse, Dennis. Okay. He's just getting up. Do you want me to fall into it? Yeah. From there. And action. Oh, yeah. He put a lot of thought into that one. In this scene, to create a mystic quality and to hide the chateau behind us that wasn't period, Dennis employed one of his favorite effects, that of smoke. However, I think it got a little thick because... I couldn't even see the camera. Well, now we can't see anything, Dennis. Wow. Okay, no, no, Simon. And Dennis hadn't finished talking during the take. I'll die before I get cut up to like him. You! Once more, hold it. Do it. Ready? Action! Do it. I'll die before I get cut up to the like of you. By the last episode of the season, Dennis was well entrenched in the annals of Highlander history, and I think he enjoyed being there. Counterfeit Part 2 gave him a chance to work with Alexandra Vandenu, and I knew he enjoyed that because she was a good French actress that he could converse with in French and be immediately understood. But even this being the last show of a very long season, Dennis never wavered his enthusiasm in trying to make it a great episode. He still fought as hard as he had at the beginning of the season for those ideas that he wanted, even though they may be wacky. But somewhere in his vision, he needed those ideas to make more interesting and creative choices. Well, with that all said and done, even to this day, though he drives me crazy with his ideas and his vision, as I probably do him with my constant reminder of, you can't do that, Dennis, I'll always respect him for it. And besides, what would I do if I didn't have Dennis stories to tell? Watchers, that was great. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. For some of you, this might be your very first Highlander Rewatch podcast. If it is, this isn't our normal format. Normally, we're reviewing the show and movie week by week in excruciating yet hopefully hilarious detail. If you're interested in more of what we do, make sure to head on over to our Facebook page and like our page, and you can subscribe to our podcast wherever podcasts are found. That could be iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or SoundCloud. In addition to the podcast, Highlander Rewatch also offers an awesome collectible magnet set featuring five very cool illustrations of our favorite characters from the Highlander TV show. This set can be yours for only $15 plus shipping and handling and can be found on our Facebook page. Just click the Shop Now button or head on over to Etsy.com and search for Highlander Rewatched. And if you'd like to find another way to contribute to the Highlander Rewatch podcast to help us bring more and more free content to you on a weekly basis, head on over to our Patreon page. We've got some awesome rewards if you'd like to make a donation to keep this show alive and running. All donations go to the production of this show. Thanks again for listening to this Adrian tape. We'll be back next week with the episode Manhunt, which is one of my personal favorites from season five. Thanks again for listening. Bye. Bye.